Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study uh, from the Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Uh, and, and if you have been joining us throughout the process of the Gospel of John, I think we're in like week 24. Uh, we've been going for a while in the Gospel of John, and that will continue today. Uh, we're actually going to be uh, in uh, finishing out uh, chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. And you can go back and listen to any of those that you might have missed. Uh, you can find those at BurgessMinistries.com is one place to go. You click on Listen for the audio. If you'd like to watch the videos, uh, you can go to RickandBubba.com and click on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel. There's a playlist button there. You click that playlist, and you'll see all the uh, the Bible studies that we've done over the last uh, several years, and you certainly can find the entire uh, Gospel of John. And we're just going to stay in the Gospel of John until we are completely done with it and however long that may or may not last. All right, so let's uh, let's hit you with a couple of announcements uh, as we do at this time every week. The Pursuit Men's Conference is this weekend. Uh, if you're watching this uh, during current time, February 21 and 22nd, Dothan Civic Center. Uh, if you're watching this, you're in that area, you want to get a ticket to that, there, there won't be any tickets available at the door, so you do need to get those in advance. You can do that by going to rickandbubba.com, clicking on events, or you can uh, go to pursuitmensconference.org and get your tickets there. Uh, we also will be having uh, the manchurch.com. We'll have all of our curriculum uh, available for you there. We'll have the devotions and all of that. And the manchurch.com goes live on March the 2nd. And this will be a hub for men's ministry. Uh, you can go there and, I mean, you can do a turnkey, fully operational men's ministry for your church or your community. Uh, you can customize it to fit maybe what you're already doing. Uh, but we're, we're there willing to help you any way that we can. Uh, it goes live on March the 2nd. So make a note of that. If you'd like a training session on the uh, themanchurch.com and our discipleship strategy, April 3rd, uh, the Alabama Baptists are putting a training session together in Montgomery at Taylor Road Baptist Church. I'll be there teaching along with other members of the team. There's no charge for that, but you do need to grab a seat, and only about 15 seats are available as, uh, as of this Bible study. So you'll find that uh, under the date April 3rd, at rickandbubba.com under events. All right, so there you go. You're caught up. Uh, let's get started. Uh, Lord, thank you for today. Uh, we're excited uh, as we journey into the scriptures again today as uh, uh, the, uh, uh, John is going to be you know, giving us insight to this incredible moment now that you are moving to the cross uh, to, to, to pay the price that all of us should have paid. Uh, may we listen intently today to try to grab every piece of truth that you've made available for us. For those of us that are redeemed, may the power of your presence, the Holy Spirit in our life, reflect you and, 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 and make our eyes clear and make our, our, our ears open to hear everything that you're teaching us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's, uh, we are, we're going to finish chapter 13 today. And, you know, it doesn't mean we're going to get out early today. It just means we're not going to cover as much ground, but there's a, we're going to dive in pretty good here. Uh, I didn't want to jump over into 14 yet because 14, once we roll, we may try to get through all of 14 next week. That may not happen, but the theme of 14, there's a part in there that we really want to land on. And if I were to, if I jumped into that this week, I'm afraid there's not a good cutoff spot. So today we're just going to finish out uh, John chapter 13. Uh, but from 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 13, uh, starting in verse 31, which is where we're going to start today. If you, if you stay with that all the way to chapter 1431, uh, they, they sort, people call this almost like, um, uh, I saw it called something interesting over the weekend, the farewell 
discourse. This is Jesus, as we already know by what we've already studied. Uh, the hour is now at hand. He he knows that he's going to the cross. Last week, uh, he's he he offered the bread to Judas. Judas, you know, uh, took the bread uh, that was dipped, and then it says Satan entered into Judas. And then Jesus, if you remember, we left last week, said, "Go do what you got to do. Do it quickly." So the, the betrayal is taking place, and Jesus now moves into this farewell discourse to the disciples, which also continues what with us today to say, here's how I want the church to look. Here's what I expect of you. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to break that down today, beginning in verse 31 and 32. So let's read that first. It says, um, it says when he had gone out, talking about Judas, remember look, what we talked about when Jesus had left, uh, picture this moment. Jesus then kind of turns to the group uh, at Judas's departure, and he says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. So what is Jesus talking about? So at, at Judas's departure, this is what's cool. When Judas departs and leaves, the last barrier that stood between Jesus and the cross has now has now been removed, and now it's the onset of the pending hour. Because once Judas left, Jesus knows, okay, there, there's the last barrier that's in between me and the cross. The betrayal is about to start, and now we're going to start the process. And, and what God's going to glorify the Son. Now, this has already been mentioned. If you remember, we talked about this in John 12. You know, when God, the, the, the Father spoke from heaven, he says, hey, I've already been glorified by you. Uh, you I'm, I'm going to continue to be glorified by you. And ultimately, we're going to have maximum glorification when you go to accomplish the new covenant on the cross. And so, so Jesus is referring to this again, just like we had mentioned in, in, uh, in 12, because we know what when the, when the, when the Gentiles arrived, uh, we, we knew that had happened. But now Jesus is, is talking about this again because we knew the Gentiles arriving meant now the hour is at hand, but he's mentioning this glorification and the coming glorification of the cross because now uh, Judas has been removed, and now that's going to start, uh, if you think about the machinery of what, now I'm going to be arrested, then I'm going to be trialed, uh, tried, and then ultimately uh, I, the execution can begin. So really what Jesus is saying is it's on now. I mean, I'm rolling to the ultimate glorification. So it's going to be the greatest moment, the greatest moment, all the things are going to take place on that cross. And then ultimately, when he walks out of that tomb at the resurrection, it's going to be the greatest moment of divine self-exposure and the greatest moment of divine glory. And, and, and so the very same thing that looks like shame on the cross is going to be the ultimate glorification of God. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Now that he's gone, we're rolling, to, we're rolling to the big event that is about to take place. So now let's look at verse 33. Verse 33. So next, Jesus says this, Little children, yet a little, and, uh, yet a little while while I'm with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I'll also say to you, where am I going? Where I am going, you cannot come. Now, remember, when anytime he, now when he starts referring to the Jews, <laughs> that can be confusing because these men are Jewish that he's talking to in the room. When he refers to the Jews now, when John writes that right now, he's referring to the Jews that oppose Jesus. 
Okay, when he says the Jews, he's really referring to his opponents, those who he's been arguing with and ultimately will take him and, and execute him uh, or get the Romans to execute him. So that's what he means by that. So he's now going to shift to his concern for, for the disciples. You know, he, he's had all this going on. He's went out. He's debated all these Jewish leaders. He's tried to show everybody who he is. He's saying he's showing all these signs, all these wonders, and he's glorifying the Father, and he's showing everybody who he is. Right now, when Judas walks out of this room, and they're the, all in there with him, now he makes this beautiful shift where he now says, I'm going to focus on y'all. I, I got to get y'all ready. Just, just, and you know who we're the lineage of, right? We're the lineage of these, of these men. And, and so he says, that, calls them little children, which means he's now taking on the role of, of, the, of, of a father figure. And ultimately, he's talking to them like he's head of the family. The family of what? The family of the church. He's now looking to his church. Here's these men that will start the church. And he's saying little children taking on a, a patriarch role. And, and he's saying that, uh, that, that he's going to prepare them now for what is next. He says, look, I told this to my opponents, talking about the Jews. And, and, and he says, so soon I'm going to be going. And where I'm going to be going, you will not be able to come. Now, there's a lot of commentary uh, about this. But what makes the most sense is that he is saying that I will be departing from you and I'm going to be going to the cross. And, uh, and, and, and he says, so you, he's, what he's trying to do, and we've all been this. Think about this. If you've ever been in, you know, I don't know how many of you have children in here. But if there's ever been something coming up that was going to be a, a trial, it was going to be difficult. There was difficulty coming. You know, how many times have you sat down with your family as the father said, okay, let me just kind of give you a heads up how this, what, what, you need to prepare yourself for Mama's about to die. Uh, hey, you need to prepare yourself. Uh, we're going to, you know, we're, we, we, uh, that I'm going to be going on a trip, and I'm going to be going for this amount of time, and Mama's going to need you to do this, this, and this. You see, this is what he's doing. He's saying, look, I'm about to go, and y'all need to know that now I've been talking about this kind of in the future. It's here. And, and so I'm going to be going to a place that you can't go, and, of course, that ultimately that could, he's trying to let them know that they need to come to grips with what's about to happen. Now, we'll find out in a minute that one of the things he's clearly saying, one of the places that they can't go with him is the cross. Of course, he's not going to have to worry about that because they're going to decide themselves they're not going to go with him. But, but, what, but, but what he's saying there is, you guys really can't do what only I can do. What's about to take place has to be done by me. And, and, he, and he's trying so hard to get them prepared that there's, that there's about to be a departure from me and you but I'm going to prepare you for what is about to come, and you need to listen to what I'm talking about. And he's concerned about these disciples. Now look at 34 and 35. He said, A new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So one of the things that you look at this, you know, for those of you that may be a little further along with Scripture, when you look at this and he's saying, I'm about to give you a new commandment for you to love one another, that's really not a new commandment. I mean, and, and, and certainly these men likely had heard before, and, and he's saying that this, 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 this is what I expect of you. Well, 
this isn't as if that, you know, in the Mosaic law, if you're familiar with Deuteronomy 6 and 5, we know that it says, what, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. And then we know that Leviticus 19.18 says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, we also know what? When Jesus was in his earthly ministry and they tried to corner him and said, hey, what is the greatest commandment? Right? What, what did Jesus say? He, he quotes these two verses. He says, well, really, there's two verses that y'all know, but if you know these verses, everything that you need to know is tied up in, in, in the, he said, he said the, these two commands sum up all of the law and all of the prophets. And, uh, and, and he said, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He adds mind in the New Testament with all your mind. And he says, and, you know, the way that you, you know, love your neighbor is yourself. But he says here that this is a new commandment. But, but in our finite minds, we're like, well, but it's not new. But yet it is. If I got anybody's attention yet. So, because so, so, as I was hashing this out and looking at all this, and, and, he, and so, so what, what is the newness? What's new about this? Well, the newness is tied up in a new standard. As I have loved you. As I have loved you, what you have seen uh, and, and what you're about to see on the cross will now be a new standard of love. Really, what he's saying is you've heard all this talk about love before, and certainly you've been taught this, but I'm about to take the standard of what it looks like to love each other to a whole nother level. The newness is me. I'm a new standard. And what, you're about, what you've seen with the washing of the feet, this is giving you an idea how this is going to look. And then when what you're about to see, that's the kind of love I want you all to have for each other. Now, they're going to need that because life is not, not going to be very easy for the disciples when Jesus departs. And then all these people that hate Jesus now hate them. And by the way, that's still going on today. And really, frankly, I think the reason why some of us do not have the level of love for each other that Jesus said we're supposed to have is because you don't have enough persecution. Now, when they start trying to come get all of us, you'll be surprised how we'll start sticking together then and how our pettiness that we may have with each other and all this denominational garbage we have out there among the church, it's not going to mean, I, you know, if, 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 if they were coming to haul you off, and to crucify you upside down, if you didn't denounce Jesus, you probably don't care whether somebody's a Calvinist or not. Right? It don't mean as much to you as it once did. Uh, you don't really care, you know, whether you schedule the baptism or have it right now. You know what I mean? You, you, you're really more concerned about are we devoted to Jesus or not? Is that our bond? Which is what it's supposed to be. You know, the word denomination is not a positive word. And, uh, and, and I think that some of this stuff has, has been used by the adversary to get in the way of what Jesus told the church. I, when, when the world looks at the way you love each other, that's how they're going to know whether you're the real deal or not. What is it about these people? Now, when they look at a church and it just looks like a social club, a spiritual social club with the same pettiness, the same backbiting, the same uh, selfish ambition as the world has, they come to the conclusion that, well, the only thing that's different about these people and me is they do have to be somewhere Sunday morning, and I don't. But other than that, 
I don't see any difference in the way they treat each other than the way we treat each other. And you know what? You know what they say? Why bother? Why bother? And Jesus is saying there is a new standard, and I think we have to ask ourselves a, ask, ask ourselves a difficult question. That, it, that, that if we were to look, let's just use this room. You don't have to use your own personal church. Let's just use this room. You know, uh, are we willing to say that when we look at our brothers and sisters of Christ and, and the way that we treat them and the way that we expect to be treated by them, is, is it any standard any better than the rest of the world? Now, they, now, see, some people look at this and say, well, is Jesus saying that there's a lower standard? of loving the lost and loving your enemies. He talked about that, too, on the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, so no, this is not saying love the people of the church and love them more than you love the lost or love your enemies and let's all go off by ourselves and to hell with these people. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is the kind of love that I'm trying to teach you right now about how the church has got to operate is what I'm trying to do is say it's not... The love of the world, the people of the world, John 3, 16, for God so loved the people of the world. The love that I want you to have for the world and the dying and the lost, they're not a lower standard. What the, the love I'm trying to teach you for each other is focused differently. It's got a different focus. And that is, are you willing to die for your brother and sister or not? Are you willing to wash the feet of those that are the brothers and sisters of the church, are you only wanting to be important in the church? You know, I think one of the things that's hilarious to me in the church is how people think deacons has now somehow elevated them to some, some, some prestigious place in the church when really what you look at the beginning is you've got the teachers, the apostles, and they're saying, we got so much on our plate, can we get somebody to go feed the widows and make sure that food's handed out right? Somebody says, Stephen's pretty good. I think he'll make uh, Bring him in here. Who else? You know what the deacons are supposed to do? Wash everybody's feet. They're not supposed to be elevated to some prestigious position in the church. The deacons are supposed to be the epitome of what it looks like to serve. Really, the role of deacon in the church ought to be something you hope nobody nominates you for. Oh, gosh, did somebody put me down as a deacon? Oh, no. But what it is, yeah, I'm a deacon. Yeah, really? So why is somebody else cleaning up the fellowship hall? Why don't you go clean it up? That's, that's what you should be doing. You know, so, so th this, this whole mentality, he's saying the love amongst each other, that love has a, role, a, look, a look of I lower myself to the point that I will even wash your feet because I, I, I love you and I'm devoted to, to you that I will give up myself for you. So what he's saying is, this new love I'm giving you, watch what I'm about to do. That's what you're supposed to do. That's why it's called a new commandment. And, uh, of course, um, there's a lot to be said about that. And uh, it, it, it's not that we should you know, love the people of the world less and, and, each, and each other more. But what's cool is, is um, when, when he says there's a, there's a new status that Jesus is about to give the members of the church as children of God and, and the reflection of, of the mutual love that we saw between the Father and the Son, he said, I want you to have that. I want you to imitate that, uh, just the, the, like the love that I'm showing you. Uh, I want you to show them. And then together, y'all should love the world, you know, certainly with compassion and forbearance and evangelism and empathy. 
Uh, all true Christians recognize what? That we're nothing but beggars telling others where the food is, right? That's all we are. And when you think you're anything more than that, then you missed it. You missed it. We ain't, we're nothing but beggars just telling other people we know where the bread is. Ain't nobody here going to strut into heaven. We're, we're not any better than anybody else. We've just been redeemed. And the only thing good about anybody that claims to be a follower of Jesus is Jesus, period. And that's the point he's trying to make. So now we get into Peter, who just can't let stuff like this go. So we get down to Peter, and Peter, Peter says, I just can't sit and listen to this. i got to say something. And which is, you know, Peter before Pentecost is a, is a, a passionate but confused Peter. Now, after Pentecost, it's a game changer. Peter becomes quite, quite, quite the consistent uh, standard after that, but we're not there yet. So Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? i I, mean, I got to have some clarification on this. What are you talking about that you're going somewhere? So now what does this tell us? All this stuff that Jesus is trying to teach, they don't have it yet. You know, because if they got it, they would have they leaned over and said, he's, he's talking about he's about, to, he's about to die. I don't know how he's going to die, but that's what he's talking about. I mean, he's, got, he's, got to, he's been the servant leader. He's got to give his life for us. He's got to be the Lamb of God. They don't know any of that because they keep asking questions about it. All they know is that he is the Son of God. He's done some incredible signs and wonders, and they're in. But they don't understand what he's talking about, about the crucifixion. They don't get it. And so Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answers him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Big statement there. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Ew. So not exactly what you want to hear in a situation like this, but there's much to unpack here, brothers and sisters, much to unpack. So let's do it. Peter likely voices the attitude of the others. He often did. You know, we only see one time that he didn't say, I'll speak for the group. And that's when Jesus talked about that one of them was going to betray because he'd already got a little shut up juice from Jesus when he said he was going to let Jesus wash his feet. And you remember the funny thing we saw last week and listen to is when he looks at John and says, ask him what he's talking about. You know, I don't want to be speak for the group, but John, why don't you, you're nearest him, lean back, ask him what he's talking about. Well, Peter's back. He's speaking for the group again. And see, keep in mind, and this is where we can't be, first of all. And I've been there. Look, everything we talk about here about needing to improve starts right here with me. Okay? But I want you to think about this for just a minute. Because you find yourself at first saying, man, I really relate to Peter before, before Pentecost. Let's, let's start relating to Peter after Pentecost. Since we've now received the Holy Spirit that changed him, the standard goes up at Pentecost. This is when the standard's still low. Look at these people messing up all the time. Yeah, they don't do that after Pentecost. But we, we studied that when we went through our, our, our study of Acts. But, so Jesus has tried so meticulously, little children, to talk to them as a father about what's about to happen. And then he really lands and says, the meat of what I'm saying is the new commandment that we just talked about, about how we should love one another. And you know what Peter just, just, just confirmed? All he heard was that Jesus was going somewhere. He has no comment on the new commandment. None, none whatsoever. He has no comment 
on this uh, this time that Jesus spent time on. You ever been that? I have. You know, you ever had your wife say something and all you can think about is I'd like to respond to that and you realize, hey, she's still talking. <laughs> and then and then and then all of a sudden she finishes, you're going, So we going to your mother's? And she's like, I said that like 10 minutes ago. I said a lot after that. Well, that's what Peter says. Where are you going? What do you mean we can't go with you? Which means didn't get any of this new standard of love, new commandment stuff. I didn't get any of that. What I want you to know is I never, I didn't listen anymore till you said you were leaving. And also I'm hearing something like you're going to go and we're not supposed to follow you. I got to tell you something. I reject that. That is not what I wanted to hear. Now, keep in mind, throughout the Gospel of John, there has been a theme that we've been watching, and it even applies to those closest to him. It must be frustrating, and look, can I tell you this? It's frustrating to Jesus today that for some reason, we keep trying to tell Jesus what we would prefer him to do. Now, Jesus, I don't, I don't like who you say you are. Here's what we would prefer you to be. We, 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 we want a messianic king to overthrow the Romans. We, I, I, don't, I don't like this Gentile thing. What's all this Gentile stuff? We don't like this. You know, we don't like you. We don't want, we don't want you to do this. Eat, eat, your, eat your flesh, drink your blood. We don't like that. And so constantly, Jesus, the Son of God, is hearing from the people he has come to save, we don't want you to be like that. Here, we, we, we want to tell you what to do. And that still continues today, even after it's finished. There's just certain things that our society keeps saying to Jesus, still want you to redeem us, but these are some things we don't like about you. We don't like these these things you've assigned us to do. And so Peter is saying, I don't like this plan. And and I'm I'm, I'm not interested in the new command. I'm more concerned with your threatened departure because you're our master, and I want to know where you're going. So knowledge of the master's plan and continued intimacy with him are more attractive to Peter right now than obedience. Peter is deciding what he prefers. And Jesus is trying to teach about obedience, and he's going to unload on obedience in chapter 14. If you don't like discussions of obedience, I would skip next week. Because he's about to unload, probably because of what he's experiencing here, he's going to start clarifying that if you don't obey me, you don't belong to me. You're not mine. <gasps> but we'll do that next week. So, so Jesus hears from Peter, I don't really want to know anything other than what are you doing, why are you doing it, and what's, what are we in all this? I want to, I want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about obedience. That's what I want to talk about. So just like Jesus' opponents, now think about that. Now, instead of Peter just saying, sounds good to me, not sure all you're talking about right here, whatever you say we're in. What, what, now he's becoming kind of like Jesus' opponents who, you know, in, right out of the gate in chapter 1, I mean, Jesus' opponents, they didn't understand his references to his departure either. And, 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 if, and if you look at, um, uh, look at verse thir- 37 <coughs> in, in chapter 1, you, know, you see that he continues to talk about his pending death, and nobody wants to hear it, including those that are closest to him. 
Jesus says Peter cannot follow him now. And there's a couple things that Jesus may be saying here. We hit on one just a minute ago. One of the things he might be saying, what does he mean by he can't follow him now? Uh, you know, A is pretty straightforward. He isn't going to die just yet. Because don't miss what Jesus said after that. You're going to, but just not now. So this is Jesus just telling Peter, I realize right now you think you want to die for me. You're not going to, which he clarifies here at the end. But you will. But you will. And, and, and I think sometimes we, we get into our point where I know I messed up, uh, is I always want to get on my timeline. I don't want to be on God's timeline. Hey, I want to go, I want to do this for your kingdom now. Well, you're not going to do it now. You will, but just not now. Because you're not ready. I mean, we, we'll, I'll get to this in a minute. We see Jesus many times telling the disciples and telling Peter, please stop telling people who I am. I, I mean, I used to really, but I thought they got you right. I thought, Peter, hey, you are the one and only son of God. And, and then, you know, he says, my father's revealed that to you. By the way, don't, don't be going around telling people who I am. And the reason why that he's telling Peter this is Peter keeps showing before Pentecost. It's a game changer after Pentecost. But before Pentecost, Peter keeps showing Jesus that if he goes out and speaks on Jesus' behalf, he won't tell people the right information. And we got to be real careful of that, guys. We certainly, from the very beginning, can say, I was this way, Jesus changed my life, and now I'm this way. But there's certain things that Jesus, if, 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 I mean, if, what are the things in your life that Jesus will pull you off to the side and say, hey, let somebody else handle that. Now, you're going to have your time. It's not, it's not now, though, because you're not going to speak on it correctly. And so that's, that's one that, that's one plausible theory that that's what Jesus means by you can't go with him, meaning you, you are going to be a martyr, but not today. And, and, and B is that Peter will follow Jesus later, but not as a, not as a, not as, not as a second him or a second son of God, but he will be so devoted that he'll follow him into death and he'll join Jesus in glory. Peter, see, is like a lot of us, he's unwilling to wait. Lord, why can't I follow you now? But Peter doesn't understand the timeline here at all. So what Jesus is, is telling Peter is, first of all, you going to the cross right now doesn't accomplish anything. <laughs> You, you're not the Lamb of God. You can't provide repentance for all mankind. So no, you're not going with me. I got to do this alone because I'm the only one that is worthy and meets the criteria to pay the price. So you can't go now, but you will. And you won't go to pay the penalty for the world. You'll go to glorify me because of your devotion to me. I'll be glorified in your death. But the death's coming, just not now. You're even going to be crucified upside down, but not now. And so the bottom line is Peter is trying to tell the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords what to do. And if you want to look, there's other examples of this when I talked about when, when Peter speaks out of confused devotion. There's some other examples. Write these down. Mark 8, 27 and 30. Can I tell you when you read this in Mark 8? Always keep in your mind, if you go back and study this particular gospel, especially dealing with Peter, Mark is interviewing Peter. So when Peter sits there and talks about what he did himself, 
There's a lot of power in that. Now, let me tell you what I did. I said this and I said that. So that's it. And then Matthew 16, 20, Matthew documents this too. And this is when Peter kept speaking out of confused devotion, when he kept saying, I'll lay down my life for you. And uh, do you realize that Peter is recorded in all four Gospels, <laughs> all four of them record Peter continually saying he had a willingness to die for Jesus. Hey, and then didn't. That, that goes back to this... Uh, be sure that you're not wrapped around emotion all the time. Because emotionally, Peter said, I, I'm ready to die for you. I'm, I'm talking about right now. But, but he wasn't. Now, was he ready to die for Jesus when, when, on, on, when, on, God, on God's timeline? He certainly was. And, and, hey, man, thank you for the example you showed us and reminded us that the power of the Holy Spirit is a game changer. Because after Pentecost, Peter was a man to be revered and a man to say, that's a good example. He's not right here. Because you find yourself kind of saying, I, you, you got to love his passion. You do. You do. And I think, I think Peter truly thinks that he's where he needs to be. And that ought to be the conviction everybody in this room ought to take on to. Do you think you're where you need to be, but you're wrong? Jesus was, uh, Peter was convinced that he understood it. He was convinced that he was ready when he wasn't. So what about you and what about me? If you're sitting here right now saying, I absolutely can't be taught another thing about Jesus, then you'd be wrong. <laughs> okay? Hey, I know I'm ready to do whatever Jesus calls me to do. No, you're not. You can get ready. And, and, and if, you're, if you're devoted to Jesus, can I tell you why you're not ready to do what Jesus wants you to do? I'll tell you when you know if you're ready, if you're actually doing it. If you're not doing it yet, then he's deemed that you're not ready for it yet. And that's okay. Because, because then you won't go out and make a fool of yourself and make a fool of Jesus. Okay? So if you're saying, well, this is what I think I should be doing for the kingdom, but it's not happening, either you're wrong about the call in your life, or he just doesn't think you're ready yet. Because he does not allow Peter to go out there and give out all this misinformation. And he even gives Peter a, 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 a heads up that, that you're not going to do what you keep saying you're going to do. You're not going to. Not yet. Because so, tragically, the boast that Peter had, and this is good, the boast that Peter had that he would never deny his Lord, even to the point of death, displays not only a gross ignorance of human weakness. Let me tell you something. That Let's land there for just a minute. Please stop being ignorant about how weak we really are. Stop making these bold statements because, you know what? That's the reason. You remember like when Jesus tried to teach us? Don't say you're going to do this, you're going to do that. You remember we talked about that? No, what you need to say is, Lord willing, I'll do this, and Lord willing, that'll happen. Because right now, watch this. That breath, had to be allowed by God. Look, y'all may be seeing me for the last time. Some, I mean, y'all may never see me again. I may be dead, or Jesus may come back until you see me again. So I'm going to say things like, well, Rick, what you going to do the rest of the day? Well, Lord willing, I'm, I'm going to go in here and, and finish with something i got to do at the office, and then, Lord willing, I'm going to drive down here and try to work out a little bit, and, Lord willing, I'm going to go home. And, you know, hey, Rick, you going to do the show tomorrow? Well, Lord willing, I, we'll see. But, but the point is, we got to stop making these bold declarations 
until we, unless we take into account the, the tragic weakness of our flesh. And you say, well, Rick, you're talking about dying for Jesus. No, I'm not talking about dying for Jesus. Certainly, we need to, that, that's an extreme example. What I'm talking about is the I can put myself in any situation because I'm so devoted to Jesus that I won't renounce him. How many more men we got to see fall that had that attitude? Ah, this, this relationship ain't no big deal. Man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm devoted to Jesus. I don't know. I don't know if you need to be hanging around that woman. Hey, trust me. Ain't no big deal. I'm, I'm solid. No way I betray my marriage. No way I betray Jesus. Yeah, I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard those kind of statements. And you almost can hear the clock ticking. Tick, 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 till you get that call. Ah, he grossly underestimated his human weakness. And he took his eyes off Jesus for just a minute because he was certain he would never deny Jesus. Guys, we got people renouncing their faith every other day, it seems, right now. I'm talking about people that were put in leadership. When did we give these people all this authority? Because undoubtedly, they had put on a show that they could be trusted with it. And all it took was just a little bit of pushback. Just a few comments about Scripture, about the history of the church and the age of the earth or some, something goofy like that. Guys, we have, we have gone to a point, we got people still think the earth, they're back on the earth is flat again. Y'all realize that's real. The first time I saw that, I thought, nobody believes that. People actually think that now. I saw a bumper sticker the other day, let's stop pretending we went to the moon. What? I mean, I mean so, so th this is one of those things that we better be sure we understand. We don't let the flesh lead us. Any of you that ever played, had any kind of sports background, had to be sports background, it could be anything involving something you got to do. What is one of the biggest mistakes that, that everybody can make? Underestimating the opponent. Well, I'm, hey, I'm in. I'm solid. I'm going to finish well. Are you finished? Well, I wouldn't say that then. You don't know. We don't know whether you're going to finish well. I can already tell you there's men in my life that I've known that I thought were going to finish well. They haven't. Rick, you're going to finish well? By the grace of God, I will. If I stay devoted to Jesus Christ, he can enable me to finish well, but I can't finish well. Look, I, every time I go flesh, it, I mess up. Every time. What do we say about our biggest prayer? Protect me against my biggest enemy. Me. Billy, everywhere I go, there I am. You know what I mean? So, so we should never underestimate human weakness because when we do, then we start relying on the strength of Christ and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Got to feed that spirit. Galatians tells us that. But he also kind of had something else we got to watch out for, and I've struggled with this a, a good part of my life, kind of a haughty independence. But I'll tell you what, I, I ain't going to deny you. These other people might. You can count on me because I ain't going to turn on you. Now, that's easy to say when I don't even know what's coming. You know, you ever, you ever had that happen before? I had that happen on a rafting trip one time. You ever been rafting? I have. You ever been down class five? Mm. What does that mean? Oh, I'll be fine. Ain't no big deal. Well, I'd, I'd, been, I'd been through a little creek up in Tennessee. I, I'd never been 
in that kind of place before, and suddenly I'm out there screaming like a, like a child, just wanting to live. You know, and what had happened is, I told everybody they could count on me. Next thing I know, I don't even know where my paddle is. Uh, you know, I'm supposed to be steering, because I'd never seen class five before. You see, that, that, that was a haughty independence. Hey, you put a, put a Burgess up front. You ever done this before? Don't matter. I'm a Burgess. Just give the responsibility to me. I got this. Before I know it, I mean, I, I'm, I'm weeping. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to cry as I'm down in the bottom of that boat just saying, please let this end. <laughs> you know why? Because I, I had a haughty independence. I, I, didn't, I didn't know what I was getting into. Look, I got guys in here, law enforcement, military guys. When do you know when they can handle it? Live rounds. Until live rounds, what, in training, they may look good in training, but when do we know? Live rounds. See, Peter is saying that he's going to do the job, but he's never had any live rounds yet. He doesn't have any idea. You know, this whole time, as we find out in the garden, he thinks they're going to fight. And you know what he's seen? I saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. I saw him feed 5,000. Can't nobody beat us. What he's really saying is, I want to go with you, and as long as you're there, we're going to be good. But what he doesn't realize is Jesus said, well, that's not what I said. I'm, I'm going, and I'm leaving it to you. And what happened the minute it clicked with Peter, oh, so we're not going to fight. What was it? To follow you is to follow into death? What, we're going to let them take us? Well, it's a game changer now. And y'all have heard me talk about this all the time. When Jesus cut the boy's ear off, he wasn't aiming for his ear. He missed. He was trying to kill him. Because what he thought was, we're about to fight. And Peter was good with that. Which, you know, we, we can, men, we can respect that. But what Peter wasn't willing to do is not fight. Which requires more strength. He wasn't willing to be a sheep that says, I'll die for the good of other people. Or I'll die for Jesus. Now, what he thought is Jesus is going to whip everybody and kill everybody. And now we're going, he's going, we're going to return to power, and I'm going to be with the guy who's returning us to power. And we're going to be done with this Roman occupation. But that wasn't the plan. So he, sometimes we're, we have a haughty independence about a plan that isn't the plan. Tell you how I'm going to glorify God. Well, you better wait and see. You think I thought I was going to glorify the God by burying a two-and-a-half-year-old? You think I would have signed up for that? Hey, where I'm going, Rick, you can't go. Yes, I can. Because I had something, I, I thought something, oh, well, you want me to get up and stand up for you and be bold against people that don't, that don't believe in you? I'll do that in a second. Send me anywhere. No, I, I need you to bury one of your children. What? Now, now I'm probably like John. I'm probably running out of my clothes and running naked now. I, Jesus is going to require me to do something that's going to be hard. I, I thought we were about to win the battle. I thought we were going to win. Well, we are going to win, but we're not going to win the way you think. And see, Jesus, see, he, he, when I'm sitting, when he's sitting in the room with everybody, man, Peter's man. We just had a great meal. Jesus washing feet. Judas is what rolled out of here. We think he's going to get unleavened bread. We don't even know where he's going. We didn't follow any of that. Now Jesus says he's going. But see, if Jesus has said, <laughs> Jesus turns around, and this is where Jesus sometimes I love this about Jesus, but it's embarrassing. Jesus does the ultimate follow-up. 
Will you lay down your life for me? You sure about that? That's kind of cold on Jesus' part. But he's trying to make Peter understand. Yeah, you, you know, that ought to have been a wake-up call. When you're, when you're pontificating, I'll tell you what, I'm with Jesus, baby. Hey, these others may, they may leave you. I won't, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'll lay down my life for you. Are you really? Almost makes him say it again. Will you really lay down your life for me? The irony. And what, what's so ironic about this? Because Jesus is doing that rhetorical question. By the way, always pay attention if there's somebody that knows a lot when they drop rhetorical questions on you. Don't fall. They're really letting you know as kind as they can how wrong you are. The rhetorical question is usually a sign that somebody's giving you an opportunity to correct yourself. Uh, or as, as my dad used to say, you don't mean that. That means my dad wants whoever said something to back it up and try again. And uh, so Jesus asked this question, but listen to the irony of this. Who's actually laying down their life for whom? Oh, you're going to lay down your life for me? No, you got that wrong. I'm about to lay down my life for you. So you're the one that's going to lay down your life? No, I'm the one that's going to lay down mine. You, you have this completely reversed. Peter will show that he cannot lay down his life for Jesus. But decades later, he would. Thereby glorifying God. Sadly, Peter had good intentions. But really, what we have to be careful of in here, what Peter was really saying in this secure room of great food and foot washing and fellowship, I'm bold. But you haul me off to a garden where I can't even stay awake for you while your capillaries are bursting and you're bleeding over the stress of taking God's wrath for me. I can't be counted on. Look, we're all secure. We're here together. Got a lot of bold things to say. But you put me out there where the live rounds are. I'm actually not the guy you want to be in the foxhole with. Because I'm going to abandon you. I'm going to abandon you. So the boldness was vastly different when Jesus picks the ear up and puts it back on and says, that's not the plan. We're going to let them take us. And we're all going to die. Then Peter and John were like, mm-hmm. And all the others. I mean, think about how bad it can turn to. He goes from I'm all in to denying him three times, as Jesus predicted, before the rooster crowed, and then gets indignant in the middle of it. He goes from I'm totally devoted to you to I want everybody to know with all my, the same passion that I said I was devoted to you, I'm now trying to convince the people who want to hurt me that I don't have anything to do with you. And I think about my life. And I think about my embarrassing testimony. When I went from being a little boy that wanted the world to know that I loved Jesus to being a dark young man that tried to convince everybody around me that I wanted nothing to do with him. So I can understand this story. But I'm also thankful 
that we'll get to as well. I'm also thankful that Jesus goes back and finds the Peters of the world. Because even though Jesus knew that he was being bold and that he had a haughty independence, he also understood the human condition so well in its fallen state that he was willing to forgive it. Hey, man, we're good. I think, I think about that. Can you imagine, like I told you all one time in here, I'm still mad at the guy that left me in a fight back in 1983. <laughs> and and th thanks be to God, you got to let that go. And here's Jesus. Everybody who said they'd stand with him abandons him. And he comes out on the other side of the resurrection. And as Mark documents, go tell Peter and the others that I'm back. Do you know that Peter made sure that he specified that his name was mentioned? And if you remember, Peter wasn't all that thrilled to see Jesus after the resurrection. Would you? If the last time he saw you, you were screaming and cussing at a little girl that you didn't know him. I'm back. But what did our wonderful Savior do? He restored Peter over and over again and gave him that opportunity to say that he loved him. Remember we talked about that? We talked about his fourth say, Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Denied him three times. Restored him three times. We're good. Now, all that boldness that you had, I'm finally going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And Peter, you're going to finally be the guy that you thought you were. But guess who's going to give you the boldness that you thought you already had? Me. You're actually not very bold at all without me. But I'm going to give you a boldness. And let me tell you something. Peter never denied him again after the resurrection. As a matter of fact, I love when we studied Acts chapter 4. You remember this? And they recognized that Peter had been with Jesus. They could, they, why, how did they recognize it? By his boldness. The very same boldness. He had the boldness in Jesus. He just thought he could have it without Jesus. That he was bold enough without Jesus. But he was wrong. And that's the reason why that Paul tries to teach us so many times that in order to be strong, we have to be weak and realize that we are nothing without Christ. And that's the reason why we keep talking about this men's ministry thing. At the heart of all of it is let's allow by our submission and devotion and repentance of our sins and devotion to Jesus. Let's open ourselves up through our weakness for the Holy Spirit to come in and to turn us into the men that God always intended us to be. But not by our boldness or our strength and our self-control and our code of conduct, but by the transformation afforded us in the Holy Spirit. And that Jesus will not say to us, if right now you stood up and said, I'll stand up in this room and I will declare my devotion to Jesus Christ. Is Jesus going to come over to you and say, come on, man. You're going to deny me as soon as you possibly can when it gets tough. Or would it be like Peter on the other side of Pentecost? 
the standard we're supposed to be now because we, ha- we are supposed to have the Holy Spirit. Or does Jesus look at you and look at me and say, oh, I indwell in that one. He can't do it, but he's so devoted to me, I can. I will teach him what to say, and he'll say it. What is a disciple? We talk about discipling men all the time. What is a disciple? Right. You know how we could sum it up too? You know what a disciple is? Someone who says what God says to say and does what God says to do. And we come back next week, we're going to move into one of the scariest words in the Bible. Obedience. And you know what Jesus is going to say? So you say you love me? Well, then obey me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for these convicting words. And Lord, thank you really. I know so many times, especially men, because we can relate so much to Peter. I mean, if if Peter was walking around today, you know what they'd say? That's a man's man right there. But 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 I think we, we got to really stop and say, which Peter are we? The one that we're studying today, that before Pentecost, that, that had a lot of haughty independence and uh, a lot of uh, misplaced devotion, a lot of ignorance of his true human state. Are we, Peter, after Pentecost? Completely transformed by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I hope today we realize that if we're a lot like Peter before the Holy Spirit, that means we probably don't have the Holy Spirit. And if that's the case, I pray that we correct that today. Just right now, just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I, I, I submit to you. I certainly have made a lot of bold proclamations about you, but when I look at my life, I haven't lived very many of those out. But today that changes. If, if that's not being lived out in your life, as we've said for four years, it's not because... There is no ability found in the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus Christ to change you. If you haven't been changed by Jesus, because you don't know Jesus. If that, and if, that, if that correction isn't there in your spirit, then maybe today you just need to sincerely say, Lord, I repent. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I look at my life and I may know a lot about you, but I certainly don't seem to know you. Because I don't have that power. I don't see it. Well, maybe today that changes. Today you just say, I submit to you as, as best I can understand. And Lord, may, may you give me that boldness that can only be found in my devotion to you. Not to earn my salvation, but maybe today I'm truly experiencing salvation. And don't be so prideful and arrogant that you never assess yourself if you see no victory. And, and, just, and just not be so prideful and arrogant that you won't say, maybe I'm lost. Maybe maybe I have nothing but a demonic faith. Maybe I'm just a cultural Christian. And you, and you correct that today. And you actually recognize that you, 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 you don't really know Jesus. You know a lot about him, but you don't really know him. Well, he says if you seek him, you'll find him. If, if you'll pursue him, you'll find him. And just submit to him today and say, Jesus, I don't know you the way I should. Please correct that in my life. I repent of all sin and I come under your authority. Nobody knows the sincerity of your heart, but the Bible says if you are sincere that Jesus Christ will change every life that repents 
and submits to him and confesses him as Lord and Savior. I pray that may be happening even in this room. If, if not, Lord, maybe, maybe watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast or whatever the case may be. If I can help you in any way, Rick at rickandbubba.com, I'd love to. And Lord, thank you for today. And we lay these, lay these things at your feet. And now we go out of here under your authority. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.